listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Hi. Hey. What is happening? Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Best Serve Mother frickin' cold. That's us. New title. I didn't know where you were going with that. Patent pending. Patent pending. I don't think that's how a patent works, my love. Well. It is now. That we, ne- we are now patent pending, patent pending. So I can okay. do things like that. Anyway, welcome to Best Serve cold, cold. The true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I am one of your amazing co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I am served shaken, not stirred. Nice. And I am Tamatoa. The only stabbing I endorse is vaccines for COVID-19. Hey, hey get the jab. Get, get it, the get jab. it, get it, get it, get it. Uh, I've recently gotten my first dose of the vaccine. AstraZeneca. Um, which is, a, I believe, an Australian-made um, vaccine. Is and it? Yes. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know that. Um, rather, we, we make uh, doses of it in Australia. Oh, right. Um, whereas Pfizer comes from outside of Australia, which is why it's so hard to get into Australia. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I didn't do well. With no, you were very unwell. Vaccine. I get, with any sort of vaccine, I get very ill. Very, very ill. Um, I was ha- having shivers. I had to wrap myself up in blankets for like a a day and a half, essentially. Yeah, you were not you were not doing too. It was well. no bueno, no bueno whatsoever. But that is not an excuse to not get the vaccine. No, Don't I, let that. Yeah, I, 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 stop I can you. say that I am just very shit with vaccines. Yes, I have mine on Saturday, so hoping that. Um, I don't get super, super sick, but we'll see. Yeah, even if you do, it's only a very temporary thing. It's it's literally over with after like a day or so. Yeah, well, you were probably sick for about 12 hours, not even. Yeah, not even that, really. Um, but but yeah. yeah, we um we do have a few little quick housekeeping things. Yep, um, we do indeed. Just quickly. So if you're new around here, we do want to give a little disclaimer. We do swear a lot. I am also just going to fix my mic. I'm really sorry if you can hear that. We do swear a lot on this show. If you're not into the fucks and the shits, then this is probably not the show for you. I would suggest maybe going and listening to a different podcast. And please don't leave us a one-star review. Listen to another podcast that talks about rape and murder. You can find us on all things social media Including TikTok, yeah. which we now actually post on. Hell yeah. I believe we are just the BSC podcast on everything yep. for continuity. Our handle is exactly the same for everything. So if you follow us on one thing, you can find you can us in find the same us on everything. everything. I can't say we've posted a lot on TikTok, but hey, we started and we have grand plans. Yep. And Yeah, so yep. we're just basically writing out a whole bunch of ideas and scripts for videos we have. And then once that's sort of... Uh, done. We'll be streamlining a bunch of videos. Um, just a reminder: we are a two-person team that mm-hmm. runs this completely uh, separate to our work lives. So yeah, us ourselves and us. It, yeah. Um, so we will be we'll be trying our best 
Uh, it's a lot to do. Yeah. We, we would just appreciate your support if you share us around or give us a like and give like us support. Send us, send us viral. Send yeah. us to the moon, friends. Yeah, sure. Um, two other quick little housekeeping things and we'll, then we'll jump straight into it because we don't want to take up too much yep. of your time. I am launching another show with one of my friends. Um, so Tama's not in this one because horror movies aren't really his thing. But no. at the time you are listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day this episode comes out, will also be the day that my new show, Little Show of Horrors, is out on all good streaming platforms. As people who listen to podcasts, I'm sure you know that the first sort of few weeks in terms of whether Apple decides to like you or not and put you in the charts yep. is pretty important. So I will leave the link for the new show in the link for this show, and I would love it if you would go download it, chuck us a, a positive review, or just send us some encouragement. Yeah, odds we've are we've worked if you, really hard on this show. If you dig this kind of show, you'll love the other show. If you like true crime yeah. and you like horror movies, you will like the other. And show. if you like Laura's vo- voice, you get half of this show in that show. So there you go. And then I also think Sophie has a very iconic voice as well. You get half the masculinity and double the femininity as well. So there you have it. There you go. None of that. The old two for one deal. None of those men around here. Yeah. Um, And then the other housekeeping is is Tama has some news. So I touched on it before in a couple of our other episodes, but my band Juno has released our third single SOS. It is out now. On all things streaming, if you just look up SOS uh, Juno on wherever you stream songs, or you can find our socials, um, our Instagram is Juno.exe. We are the same on TikTok, I believe, and essentially you just type in Juno, we are most likely going to come up on Facebook. Um, But we will also leave the link to the new single. Again... Stream it, even if you just, even if you don't like the song, just mute it just, and stream it. You know Let's get those streams going. Yeah. This is like the first single out of a few that we're planning to release in like a, a streamline of um, releases. We spent a whole lot of time off just focusing on content, uh, which we are very happy to put out there. So please check it out. Hmm. So yeah, I think that's that's about it. That's it, mate. That's it. That's all there is for housekeeping. Yep. Uh, let's get into the show. Whose yes. turn is it to go first this week? I think I will elect to go first okay. regardless because I have well a very long list of things to get through. So you think you can just choose to go first? Well, I just think I just fucking did, mate. How... Rude. Anyway, yes, go. So my case is very interesting and it kind of falls into this theme that I, f- I feel like a, the, the re- most recent cases that, that I've delved into have sort of, it falls into that kind of category of, wow, there, there were so many signs there. How did you not stop this? Ah, yes, this? I love that. Yes. Uh, and another recent, well, relatively recent one as well within 2014. Mm-hmm. So this case is about a man named Elliot Oliver Robertson Roger, or just Elliot Roger. He was a spree killer in America, uh, committed a rape rampage in Ila Vista, California on May 23rd, 2014. 
But before we get into that, we are starting off in London, England. I love that. So we're not actually, this is a, we're not even starting with the horrible no, killer. We are starting in London, England love on that. July 24th, 1991. Elliot Roger was born. His father was Peter Roger, who was a British filmmaker, best known for his 2009 documentary film, Oh My God, and his work as a second unit director on The Hunger Games. Okay. His mother was Lee Chin Roger, who was a Malaysian research assistant, and together they had Roger and a younger sister, his younger sister. His parents crossed paths on uh, a set because they both worked in the film industry, and soon they started the relationship together. Uh, when Elliot was five, the family moved to LA in hopes to advance Peter's filmmaking career, mm-hmm. and Elliot grew up a relatively normal life in one of the most populated and busiest cities and areas in America. He made friends. Everything seemed kind of fine and relatively nuclear, just average. However, at the age of seven, his parents would go on to divorce. At this stage, Ellie was already a pretty shy, timid kid. He was insecure, though he was happy. He just always wanted to try and fit in with the popular kids and everyone around him. His parents' divorce seemed to only further expand his insecurities, though. And later, his father would even be soon remarried to Moroccan actress Sumaya Akabun. And before he knew it, he was now living with his new stepmother. Elliot never took any authority from his stepmom, and the two would often argue that kind of typical, you're not the boss of me, you're not my mother kind mm. of thing. In school, Elliot's friendship circle would slowly dwindle over time. He was heavily bullied and he claimed that he was unable to make any friends regardless of his attempts. However, later it would, it would be found out that through classmates and people around him that he was always the aggressor in those situations and he rejected other people's attempts at being friendly. Mm. When he was 13, his father and stepmother eventually had a son of their own named Jazz. At some point in his teens, Elliot started a YouTube channel called Elliot's Blog. He mostly complained about his loneliness, his rejection by others, and shared stories from his childhood, including his now half-brother, his uh, his younger sister, his family, his parents splitting up, etc., mm. etc. During this time, Elliot was experiencing some pretty severe issues with depression and loneliness, and the bullying at his high school only seemed to continue. At one point, the bullying led to Elliot actually getting his head taped to his desk in school. Jesus. It was pretty severe and fucked up. Encounters like this led Elliot to move from school to school pretty frequently. He never really made any friends locally within one sort of area because he was always moving from school to school due to these bullying incidents. Mm. And he began seriously seeing a psychiatrist at the age of 16. He was prescribed medication to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. However, it was revealed later on that he refused to take any of the medication that was prescribed to him, which is a very big tell into what would soon come. By 18, Elliot only had a handful of friends and he was still complaining about how people didn't want to be friends with him and no girls seemed to be interested in him. He decided he would need to make a change in life. You know, a couple 
couple things to maybe attract the female attention. So in his mind, he needed to make two changes. The first being that he would need to learn how to drive. He thought that, you know, women love cars. I'll get a good car, learn how to drive. That'll, you know, impress women, you know, right? That makes sense. Sure, yeah. The second being he would attempt to dress better, which is, in fact, a fair point. He would dress himself a bit more appealing and even went as far as changing his hairstyle. He got a nice fresh haircut, bought some new clothes and got himself a nice BMW to drive around in. Ooh. Yeah. Now, the other students noted that they did see this change in appearance and his new brand new car, but even still, he was never making any attempts to approach anyone or start conversations. Yeah, so not... Specifically, again, with women as well. He would just never approach them. In fact, during lunch breaks, he would sit in his car and have his lunch by himself, always expecting other people to make the first move in social situations. And from what I've seen too, his idea of stylish clothing is how I imagine... How I imagine like... You know those like foreign uh, like fashion commercials like think of bruno era kind yeah, of things where it's like of. really weird non-contextual like bad fashion with like really terrible sh- short haircuts yeah i think i know what you're talking you kind of get that sort of vibe yeah it's like a lot of zip up jackets with the real long neck Cute. um yeah it was it was not a good look okay. let's just say that um he, he and and the aviators like the really oh sort of, yep. yeah no was, I can see it I yeah. can see it yeah uh, it, it was not good when he had time to himself at home he would more or less spend it playing video games with the three friends he had at the time he was starting to unravel he became a lot more enraged and he never had a girlfriend and had never even come close to losing his virginity now this is something that you often see with either be it spree killers or internet personalities or just, you know, human beings in general, most typically male who later describe themselves as insul or misogynistic. Mm. Um, They have a failure with women and they blame their failures on women. And this leads them to simultaneously desire their loss of virginity while having a hatred towards women. It's a very complex psychological thing and it's made a real rise since the internet. Mm. So, and this was very much evident within Elliot Roger. He became very bitter towards the world and he blamed everyone else around him for the issues he was suffering, the issues that he was barely attempting to rectify himself. Mm. He even, when he would come across couples in public, he would become enraged or saddened. And at even at one point, he threw a hot cup of coffee on a couple he came across who were kissing in a Starbucks car park. So, okay. yeah. In 2011, June 4th, Elliot moved to Isla Vista to attend Santa Barbara City College. Within a week of moving there, he was already frustrated with his housemates and by the end of the month, both of whom had moved out. With his bitterness towards the world, Elliot decided that, you know what, racism isn't beneath me. So his new two 
Chinese American housemates who moved in seemed to make the whole living situation much worse. He would start arguments with them, grew frustrated with them, and almost daily they would argue. At some point, it would even get to close to physical altercations. Mm. Now, this is a, a similar thing we see with a lot of spree killers as well. I've mentioned this before with um, the other mass shootings and school shootings. There's a theme of xenophobia and racism. It's a mm. huge thing within um, these killers. So, he, his issue with not having a partner to grow grew to a point where he, if, if he saw couples outside, he would often have to run back to his room to either sulk or scream. In February 2012, Elliot dropped out of all of, all of his classes in college. It was around this time he also started beginning dipping into gambling. He started buying lottery tickets on separate occasions. Uh, after each attempt of failure, he would raise the price of the next ticket. Over three weeks, he spent $1,300 on just three different lottery tickets. Jesus. Yeah. He won nothing, and this set him into a deeper stage of depression. He had no nothing to show for it. Again, that would do it? Yeah. He began spending most of his time in his room, and on the occasions he did leave his room, he would go for walks on his own, ranting about his issues to his camera for his YouTube channel. In April 2012, one of Elliot's childhood friends, and probably one of his closest friends, James, decided that enough was enough. He called off the relationship altogether. He decided that Elliot was far too negative and far too radical for what James wanted to do with his own life. Mm. And it's fair enough. Elliot was very pessimistic and hateful, hateful towards everyone around him. Now, Elliot truly considered himself alone. One night, Elliot attempted to drink an entire bottle of wine and after spilling a glass onto his laptop, he had actually destroyed it. So the next day, he visited a Best Buy to buy a new one. The order would take a few hours to fill, though, at this store, so he took the time to shop around at other stores. Eventually, he found himself at a shooting range. During this time in the shooting range, firing off bullets, he contemplated his own life, his hatred towards women, and what he describes as would be his day of retribution. By the end of the day, he had fully realized his hatred towards humanity, and in his mind, I believe he thought himself as a common supervillain. Right. He was, you know, just not right for the world and decided that Humanity was sick and it was his job to rectify their sins and whatnot. So it would be later released, what would later be released as his manifesto, he would write about this day in such. He wrote exactly this. I didn't want things to be, to turn out this way. I wanted a happy, healthy life of love and sex, but I'm unable to have such a life then I will have no choice but to exact revenge on the society that, that, that denied it to me. Elliot later bought three handguns. He bought a Glock 34 automatic pistol and two Sig Sauer P226s, all at different times and in different cities. Now, on July 20th, uh, it, it's unclear as to what... I, it's one of those things where you, you, know, you do research and you go, oh, cool, July 20th, oh, July 5th? 
Mm. It's one of those things where some sources say one or the other. Some sources say July 5th. Some sources say, say July 20th, 2013. Or anyway, around July. He attends a party and he tries to, again, interact with women there. For the past two weeks, he'd been working on his room in an attempt to try and seem more appealing. Mm. Again, he would go on to just be ignored. Doing his typical thing of, I'll just wait for them to make the first move. Oh, yeah. After heavily drinking, he found himself on a 10-foot ledge where a few other people were hanging out. Things escalated into an argument and he attempts to push off several women on the ledge, off the ledge. He's unsuccessful, however, um, despite his apparent two weeks of rigorous training. uh, He's not strong enough, I guess, whatever. And instead, he himself is pushed off the ledge by other male party members. He leaves, but returns later to an attempt to retrieve his sunglasses he left behind. However, instead, Elliot is beaten up by the same guys who pushed him off. His leg was so badly broken, he would need surgery to repair it. According to him and his manifesto, this is what caused him to begin planning his rampage. In such manifesto, he would title it, My Twisted World, The Story of Elliot Roger. Throughout the months preceding his planned day of retribution, Elliot spent his time going on walks and uploading videos onto his YouTube channel. Still complaining about women and his failed advances. One video, he was he, he was enjoying the view of the beach and he describes a young couple coming to sit on a bench in front of him and ruining the view. He makes several comments about how unfair life is and just general negative thoughts towards that couple's happiness. Now, a week after that video is uploaded on April 30th, Roger's parents find his YouTube videos and they start to become pretty alarmed and worried about their son. So they contact the police. They thought that he might have become unstable. So officers arrive at Elliot's share house. They interrogate Elliot for a little while, asking him if he has any suicidal thoughts, whether he completely downplays the situation. Eventually, they decide that he did not meet the criteria for an involuntary involuntary mental health hold, nor was there any reason to legally search his residence, so they left. Here's a fun fact. At the time of this interrogation, Roger had been planning his killing spree and had two handguns in his possession here at this time. He also claimed in his manifesto that a search would have completely ruined his plans. And... Speaking of which, the entire manifesto was also in the room at the time. Something as simple as a search. One simple search could have prevented the entire thing. And I don't want to be that guy, but listening to this guy talk, I would not walk away going, I feel good that this guy's innocent. Mm. Or not going to harm anyone. So, Elliot's original plans for his quoted day of retribution would involve him driving to his father's house and just be prepared for this because it is, it is a lot. Okay. He, dry, he would drive to his father's house in San Fernando Valley. He would find his stepmother and half-brother and he would murder them, taking the family SUV back to Isla Vista where he would meet his housemates um, and murder them as well. 
leaving the house available for luring other people to his room where he would then beat and kill them. Then on day two, he would target the Alpha Phi sorority house, a dorm he thought contained nothing but the hottest girls on campus. Then he would take the SUV, drive to Del Player Drive, driving through as many pedestrians as he, as he could before he would ultimately turn the gun on himself. My lord. Yes, a very busy few days. Now, this is all relying on his father having to go away uh, on a business trip. That was the only way this was going to work. His father had to be out of town for his business trip at the time. However, at the very last minute, his father cancels the trip and stays home. No business trip. Unknowingly, he had just saved his wife's and son's lives. Isn't that wild? I always think that like the amount of small uh, decisions you make on a day-to-day basis yeah. that would have such huge ramifications on your life. Literally the last minute, he's like, I'm not going, and saved his wife's and son's lives. It's insane. So... Now his sort of plans for his day of retribution has been a bit squandered, but he chooses to go ahead with some of the plans anyway, kind of improvises as he goes. Okay, good. So on May 23rd, 2014, he begins his rampage. He began by viciously stabbing his roommates, Chang Yong James Hong, his other roommate, George Chen, and their friend who was visiting at the time, Wei Han Wang, also known as David. Between them, they received 142 stab wounds. One, four, two stab wounds. That is a lot of stab wounds. That, yeah. Yeah. Not even, yeah. Police investigators assumed that he started with Wang, then moved to Hong, and eventually to Chen. He killed them in separate events and made efforts to conceal their murders after one another. At 9.17pm, he uploaded his final YouTube video, Elliot Rogers' Retribution, in which he describes his plans and motivations. He then sent his manifesto a minute later to 34 people, including his parents and other family members, his therapist, former school teachers, and childhood friends. Within five minutes of receiving the email, his therapist contacted his mother, who then in turn contacted his father, and they both dashed towards Isla Vista in an attempt to prevent their son from acting out his plans. They, however, were far too late. Elliot went to the Alpha Phi sorority house near the University of California, Santa Barbara, with the intention of massacring the entire occupants of the house. When his knocking on the front door went unanswered, Elliot shot three Delta 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 sorority sisters who who just happened to be nearby, killing Catherine Cooper Veronica Weiss, and wounding Bianca de Kock. He then drove further into town and fired into the Isla Vista Deli-, Deli Mart from inside his BMW, killing a student named Christopher Michaels Martinez. After he kills Michaels Martinez, he drove away from the Isla Vista Deli Mart. He was spotted leaving by four responding foot patrol officers, but, and frustratingly so, they did not suspect him to be the shooter, at the time, and they allowed him to flee. Roger... I'm just not even going to comment on yeah. that. Elliot continues his rampage, shooting at several pedestrians in drive-by shootings and striking others with his car. At some point, he drives on the wrong side of the road, and he ultimately wounds 12 people, six by gunshots, and six with his vehicle. 
He even gets into a brief gunfight with a sheriff's deputy and escapes unharmed. Near the end of his rampage, however, he gets into another gunfight, and this time with three sheriff's deputies near Little Acorn Park, he suffers a gunshot wound to the left hip. He flees, but is closely pursued by police. While he's escaping, he crashes into a bicyclist named Keith Chong, seriously wounding him, then fatally shooting himself in the head. He was 22 years old at the time of his death. Police investigated the crashed BMW and they handcuffed both Roger and Chung because they initially believed that Chung might have been a second gunman. A He was involved in the act. They later found out and realized that he wasn't involved and whatsoever he was, so he was released from custody. The day after the killing spree is when officers went into Elliot's apartment to investigate and they found the bodies of Hong Chen and Wang. Now, on the day after the killing spree, a candlelight memorial was held in honor of the victims, and this was followed by a memorial service at the UCSB's Harder Stadium, which had over 20,000 people in attendance. This entire rampage started a one of those huge debates that America seems to have every now and then, the pro-gun versus anti-gun oh, yeah. debates, yeah. you know? Um, Richard Martinez, who was the father of Christopher Michaels Martinez, blamed politicians and the NRA for allowing the killing spree to happen. And calls for improvement to the healthcare system with mental health were also made and further restrictions on guns were also made. And ultimately, we know now that you know things haven't necessarily changed too much. Mm. We still have the same issues with the healthcare system, You know, our people in the field who are actually doing the work, don't have the resources they need or the money they need to further um, their developments. Um, the NRA are still very high pro-gun despite all of these attacks on innocent people from severely mentally ill individuals who should not be owning guns. Mm. So uh, there was a huge sort of public outcry from... I'm just going to say weak men because there was a whole lot of do it. There I was a whole it. lot of love discussion that. about misogyny and violence against women during this time and th- this was like this I believe during this whole time it was very pivotal during the you know women's rights and violence against women it was a big thing in America at the time. Mm. And this murder and the, these this series of murders and this individual his motives for his rampage were, as he stated, being a virgin and his lack of inter- interaction with women. Mm. And it started this conversation about how women are victimized in these men believing that women are at fault for issues that the men have. And it sparked this clashback from what I would describe as weak men who led to the usage of the hashtag not all men. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. You remember that old little doohickey. Oh, could I forget? So they argue that not all men are misogynistic and do not commit crimes against women, and its first usage dates back to 2011. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. So obviously this hashtag has been the topic of discussion in many podcasts. I won't go too far into it because it's just a dumb fucking hashtag. Um, and... 
this case kind of started a bit of a discussion about it. And in response to the usage of the not all men um, hashtag, an anonymous female Twitter user created the hashtag to ha- hashtag yes all women to express that while not all men are sexist, all women are affected by or live under fear of sexism and misogyny of any degree. Within four days, the hashtag was tweeted 1.2 million times, surpassing similar hashtags that preceded it. Um, However, the discussion about misogyny generated some criticism for, for those who argued it was unintentionally diverted attention away from Roger's hateful comments about men, the fact that he killed more men than women and his mental health issues. On that... I would like to say, yes, he did kill more men. However, he intended to kill an entire fucking sorority of women. Also, like, people don't seem to understand the irony of saying, like, he killed more men. Yep. Yep. Emphasis on the he. Yes. Emphasis on the he killed. Yes. He, he, He did hate men. He did hate men. But he hated women much more. But that's not even like that's not even the point I'm trying to make. Exactly. It's like it doesn't it's matter a- if the person doing the killing is killing men or women because nine times out of ten the person doing the killing is a man. Like yeah. that's what at the end of the and day, that's, and that's the that's the this is sorry I just need to okay. just go on a tangent here because this subject really is a, you've really hit a nerve here I for have, me. Yeah, <laughs> people want to do the whole like not all men. And they want to wave around facts of like men are raped too. I'm like, yes, yes, hundred yeah. percent. Men are raped by other fucking men. Yes, the amount of women on like uh, female or male uh, like sexual assault crime is such a minuscule percentage figure that it's not even a blip on the radar yeah. of what men are doing to sexually assault both women and other men. Like, that's the thing that people don't seem to understand. No one's saying that men aren't sexually assaulted. But again, nine times out of ten, when a man is sexually assaulted, it's by another man. And just on the actual hashtags themselves, it brings up that point of, while yes, no one's saying every single man is responsible for other men committing these crimes, Mm. all women are victims and have the potential to be victims from actions that men commit. And while not all men are guilty of that, all men have the duty to call out those actions and call out those warning signs they see in other people. It's not a matter of like, oh, oh, he he killed men or, you know, there were men involved or, or whatnot. The fact is, a man killed people. A man mm. killed women. That's the whole idea. Yeah. People just like... Yeah, they really... um. It's why I say like it's just weak men. It's just these people that want to divert away from these yeah, issues that women suffer. Yeah, that's all it does. Because... It just diverts away from the actual yeah. conversation we need to it's be It's just having. this idea of like, no, no, I need to be included as well. Mm. Why do you need to be included as well? Why would you want to be included no, in that conversation? Exactly. Like, it's not a conversation that women want it's, to be it's included It's something that in. we find, that I find, a lot of just general white, be they xenophobic, be they homophobic, be they racist people, want to include themselves and insert themselves mm. into every topic of discussion. Because most men who aren't rapists aren't, bothered by women saying that other men are 
because they're yeah. confident in the fact that they're not rapists. Yeah. Like, why are you, if you're not one of the men, why are you so pressed? Like, it doesn't, we're not talking about but when you. When you have any discussion like that with, when it be it racism or whatnot, you have a discussion where, like, say in Australia, a lot of, of, of a huge majority of our Indigenous Australians are in prison. Mm. And that's a disgusting amount of individuals. Yeah, it's to a be huge lo- proportion. It's a huge portion. The but, prison population. And then, and then there's a huge argument on the on the counter argument of that, where a lot of white Australians will want to say, yes, but here's the amount of white Australians who are locked up in these systems. Yeah, but look at their. All you size, have to do is look yeah. at the, look at the general populations of each percentage, and you say, oh fuck, the percentage of. Indigenous Australians that actually that exist make up within the Australia. population of Australia. It's huge. It's tiny compared to white. But people the the amount of them inside in prison, yeah. inside prison, uh, like if you look at it like a per one hundred thousand people thing, yes. yeah, it's so disgustingly skewed towards Indigenous people yes. being incarcerated. And for some reason, we can't have this discussion or any of these discussions like this without someone having to step in and be like, yes, but also think about the white people but here like, and think the men here. It's like, bother you so no one's, no one's like, disputing the, that, you know, there yeah. might be white people who are locked up indiscriminately. There might be men who are discriminated against for such things. For sure. But that's not the discussion we're having. We're, mm. we're discussing the fact that there's a vast majority of Indigenous Australians who are locked up for unfair reasons. We're discussing the fact that so many women are victims of, of crimes against them yeah. from men who just have psychological issues that we don't talk about. And I also think that the way... Because obviously people feel uncomfortable and people want to distance themselves from the horrendous things that have happened to you know, Indigenous and people of colour in the past. People want to act like the stolen generation, apartheid, slavery. They want to act like it was hundreds of years ago. I'm like, it was literally like it was not that long ago. 40 years ago. It was literally not that long when ago. When you talk about, like, Indigenous ancestors, yeah. you're like, yeah, that's Mary's nan. Like, yeah. it's not some, like, third cousin twice removed seven generations ago. This We're talking about, like things that feasibly our grandparents were there to witness, if not yes. to take part of, yeah. unfortunately. But, like, I think people want to – I'm like, you really, really so heavily underestimate the impact that generational poverty and generational, you know, horrific things like the stolen generation, like how that echoes yeah. through – into other people and into other family members and then does become this cycle of incarceration because you have no way of getting out of it. Like I think people take for granted the fact that, okay, you might not have been born as Jeff Bezos' son, but you were born into a middle-class white family. Like you so sorely underestimate the power that that has to give you a good start in life. Yeah. How did we get on this tangent? I don't know. But speaking as someone who has multi heritage like I have never gone through the experiences that my ancestors or people yeah. within my family have gone through but those experiences that they have gone through travel through generations mm. and are told down through and have significant impacts on 
future future and current generations. Yeah. And the things we look at now, I, I look at videos every single fucking day of people in New Zealand who hate the word Aotearoa, hate the fact that there is a Māori flag. Yeah. They hate like, the fact that people speak Te Reo Māori, so the language. And it's the same thing in Australia. They hate the flag. They hate that people mm. are thinking about using the flag for the Olympics. Uh, it, it's, it's wild. It, to say that like these things are happened years ago and you should just get over it. It's it's it not wasn't over. Years ago, it, is, it was like it was not. It was like literally, yeah. Like since the stolen this, generation in Australia was really oh, not that long ago. Super but the way they teach it in schools makes yes. it seem like it was so long ago. And the ramifications of it are still affecting Indigenous, Indigenous people today. Every, to this, to this day. day, yeah. And it's the same thing in America with African Americans. The same thing. With Indigenous Americans, no, slavery was really not that long no, ago. Not that long ago at all. Anyway, anyway I that feel was like, our tangent. Yeah, tangent. that was a long tangent. We can, but I feel like maybe was, we'll talk more about that at the end. But I feel like it was all shit that needs to be said. Yeah, and I feel like we never really get to express ourselves that way within the show, and it's nice to sort of insert that every now and then because I feel like it's an important topic and and a lot of important topics that we kind of bring up every now and then need to be said mm. in the mainstream area of our show. But we will discuss it more in, in that post-show. So we'll have a little break and then we'll come back and we'll do my story, which is thankfully a bit lighter. Great. Love that. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys after the show. Enjoy the elevator music. Welcome back. Welcome, 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 welcome. We hope you enjoyed our break because you you didn't get a break. I mean, you got a little bit of a break with the elevator music, but that's about How it. How long were we gone for? 10 minutes? 10 hours? You'll never know. You'll never know. Did we go grocery shopping? Did we bury a body? For legal reasons, no. Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons, yes, we were burying a body. Yeah, could you imagine that if we just slipped up the fact that we're murderers on a true crime podcast? That Well, I mean, that would get covered in another true crime podcast yeah. and it would be really great. I'm, that would I'm be, really that's very meta. I'm really fearful of if I ever get murdered that someone <laughs> in the community will be like, I'm going to do an episode on this. And I'll be in like afterlife going, fuck! God damn it! That's my thing! Well, you'd be remembered forever. Yeah. I I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that, like, I mean, I hope you don't get murdered. That wants to kill me? No. I mean, I hope you don't get murdered regardless, but I really hope you don't get murdered because I feel like people would definitely think it was me. Like 150%. Because I talk a lot. On the show was, about... If my body was never found, it would 100% fall on you. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, here's some crimes on. that actually did happen. Yeah. So, a lot of people had said after I did the uh, story of the Stockholm Syndrome, a lot of people kind of said that they enjoyed the less violent murdery oh, okay. cases. Cool. Which is fair because murder and rape and decapitation That's can get a little... That's also good because at... 
a certain point in time, you kind of just keep looking at the same content yeah. like this and you kind of go, fuck, man. So, it's and it's very interesting that we were just kind of also having a conversation about kind of, we didn't explicitly say we were talking about white privilege, but we were essentially talking about white privilege. And this yep. is a very interesting story because, anyway, I'm going to get into it. Great. So this is the story of Anna Delvey. And I first heard about this story maybe two, three years ago. And I spent 20 minutes walking home from the train station with my like face glued to my phone reading this article that The Cut did and I nearly fell over multiple times because I just could not right. stop reading this because I was like, how is this real life? For me, I find this story particularly fascinating because for anyone listening that knows me in person, you know I've had about 85 different career paths since I left school, yeah. one of which was very briefly I thought I wanted to work in the fashion industry. So I have met many a person, much like Anna Delvey, whilst I was kind of working in that blogosphere fashion thing. So I find it really interesting from that perspective because I'm kind of like, I get it. Like I get how she got away with this. So a lot of the information I'll be using is from the article from The Cut because it's written from the perspective of someone who personally knew Anna Delvey. If you want to go read the article, I'll leave it in the show notes. It's so well written. It's so well done. Would definitely recommend a read it is a big read but it's very interesting so i'm kind of going to start from the middle not the beginning and then i'm going to circle back because i don't want to give away the twist so anna delvey was a billionaire german heiress who lived in new york city in 2017 when she met um the girl that this article is written I'm not sure if she wrote the article herself or it was conveyed to a journalist, right. but um, by a girl called Neff who worked at a swanky hotel in Soho in New York called Eleven Howard. So they were a concierge who worked there. They first met Anna when she had come downstairs from her room to quiz Neff on the sort of funnest places to go out in New York City, mm -hmm. like where are the best restaurants, where are the best clubs, etc., etc., etc. Where can I find a hot dog? So considering it's a pretty swanky hotel in one of the most expensive cities in the world, um, Neff kind of thinks nothing of this. She gets it all the time from uh, people who are so used to kind of getting their way that they just want to talk to someone. So she says in this article that she'd get a lot of husbands who were meeting their mistresses at this fancy hotel who would come and chat just because they didn't really have anyone else that they could talk to about their this part of their lives. Right. So she kind of thinks nothing of it, gives Anna, in her opinions, the best options on where to go, and Anna kind of goes off on her way. It soon becomes a more frequent occurrence, however, that Anna would sort of saunter downstairs, slip a nice $100 bill across the counter and quiz Neff or whatever staff members were on the desk on the best places to go out, best places to shop, etc., etc. Anna soon becomes a feature piece at 11 Howard, often swanning downstairs wearing, let's just say, not really lobby-appropriate clothing, right. sitting with a glass full of wine in the lobby and chatting with the staff, just basically acting like she owns the place. Gotcha. 
So generous with her cash tips is she that the staff at the hotel would get into fights about who would get to take the packages and parcels that would come to the front desk up to her room, knowing that whoever would do it would get a minimum a $100 tip in cash. And Neff soon realizes that Anna doesn't actually need her advice regarding the coolest places to go. She simply wants her time. And Anna has an absolutely thriving social life. Like she doesn't need tips on the cool places to go. She knows all the cool places to go. She knows everyone in the city and she's very good friends with lots of people at the very, very top of the social food chain. So she tells people that her father runs a solar panel business in Germany, which is where their riches have come from. When questioned, Anna would tell people that her family was still in Germany where they had lived, but oddly enough, Anna didn't speak German or not very good German at least, but she did have a European accent, which many people would say that she kind of had an indistinguishable, vaguely European accent, but they couldn't quite put their finger on what it was. This is actually a pretty common thing. Mm. My grandma is from Poland and from Germany and she speaks neither language. There you go. So Anna told those in her circle she was planning on opening a multi-story club in Soho with hubs to eventually open in other international countries as well. No one for a second doubts Anna's story. It's a very normal thing for a rich person in New York to open a club, to mm-hmm. open businesses. With her openly flamboyant attitude towards cash, expensive designer clothes, as well as the fact that she'd been holed up at 11 Howard for over two months at $400 a night, she hosted extravagant dinners to which Neff was invited and on one occasion found herself seated next to Macaulay Culkin. Huh. Despite the fact that she seemed to swan around the city and live an almost nomadic lifestyle, however, she had been part of the New York scene for many, many years. Prominent people at fashion magazines had known her as part of the landscape since 2013 and she had friends in high places everywhere. Her wealthy friends, however, noted it seemed odd that Anna always, always, always seemed to pay for things in cash. When anything required her to pay with a card, say a cab ride home from the airport, she would contact friends asking that they provide their card details and she would pay them back, which she usually did in cash. And she always had some form of, of, of excuse as to why she couldn't use her own card. One of her acquaintances, Michael Hyung, went on a trip to Venice with Anna. She requested he book their flights and hotels on his card, which he did, with Anna promising to pay him back, which she never did. Michael confessed later that he thought she'd simply forgotten, given the three or $4,000 trip was, to them, not a huge amount of money and easily forgotten. A lot of people were quoted as saying that when Anna seemingly forgot to pay them back, they chalked it up to her being so, like, simply so super rich that small favors here and there just went entirely under her radar. It wasn't even a blip for her. $1,000 to her was nothing, so she forgot about it. It wasn't until the year after they met, Anna and Michael. Anna had hired a large uh, New York City PR firm to plan her birthday party. The day after the extravagant event, Michael received a call from the venue asking if he had Anna's contact details. The credit cards they had on file weren't going through and none of their services had been paid for. Anna was working hard on her plans to start the Ultimate Club. She bragged to... She bragged that her friends who had connections in the real estate and architecture world had helped secure the perfect space. A 45,000 square feet building occupying six floors of the historic Church Missions House, a landmarked building on the corner of Park Avenue and 22nd. However, a project of this scale required a little bit more cash than what Anna was throwing around. 
Anna was required to secure a $25 million loan in order to get the idea off the ground. By this stage, she'd been in meetings with prominent faces from the food and wine industry in New York, as well as plans with the artist Christos to wrap the entire building for its launch. So do an entire external wrap of a six-story building. Oh, Jesus. So no one is doubting that this chick has money. She's walking around town making all these plans, like with the head chef from Nobu was going to come and there was going to be two floors of motels, there was going to be a juice bar, multiple restaurants, and then clubs on different floors. So it was a very big event. And she had the influence to sort of back it up as well. She had the influence, she had the friends, she had the look, she had it all down pat. So she begins attempting to raise funds with private investors. However, when these all fall through, she uses her own connections to try and source the money elsewhere. When questioned why none of the uh, private investors went through and why she decided she didn't want them involved anymore, Anna simply stated that she didn't want some anonymous faces judging her gender and age and pulling the strings behind the scenes, which... Again, being in the position of being her friend, she was 25 at this time, 25-year-old woman, understandable. Mm. You'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fair. I get that. So using her connections, she manages to touch base with Joel Cohen, who was the prosecutor for Jeldon, God, I can't speak. Jeldon. Jordan Belfort, a.k.a. Wolf of Wall Street. Street, So the six degrees of separation continue and Anna is able to formally apply for loans through a financial company called Gibson Dunn who dealt with high net worth clients, of course, after signing on the dotted line that she is in fact a high net worth client. They approach these loans with the idea that although Anna's wealth is substantial, as much of it is tied up with shares or in means outside of the US, she requires a loan within the US to fund her club which, again, no one questions because she's an international wealthy heiress. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, you need cash in the States to get this idea off the ground. When banks question proof of her assets, they receive emails from a man called Peter W. Hennick, who was, according to Anna, the head of her family's finances, despite the fact that all his emails come from an AOL account. However, proof of her assets never seems to materialize. One night, Neff recalls when she was at 11 Howard at the front desk, Charlie Rosen came to chat to her. Neff mentioned Anna, and Charlie had never heard of her. Neff found this strange considering that Charlie is the son of Abby Rosen, who is the owner of 11 Howard, as well as the owner of the building that Anna is allegedly leasing for her club. Interesting. Anna's request from one large bank for loan is formally declined, which she tells everyone is because of management issues. Neff notices that the circle of friends around Anna seems to be shrinking rapidly, which again, Anna kind of waves off and says, oh no, they're all jealous or this happened or that happened. She just kind of has, she's very quick and she has an excuse for everything. Of course, yeah. Shortly after all this, the staff at Eleven Howard realized that Anna has had never left credit card when she checked in. Oh. So the hotel when she checks in is very, very new, so they didn't have the facilities. So they went, yeah, cool, your international wire transfer will be fine. So she has a bill of around $30,000 at this hotel, which remains unpaid. Sheesh. Due to her being a valued client who was a long-term tenant, the hotel had originally agreed to a wire transfer over a month ago. However, this cash had never materialized. Staff staff were told either Anna needed to pay up or she would be evicted from the hotel. After attempting to unsuccessfully get the staff back on her side with vintage bottles of Dom Perignon, it 
actually looking like Anna is going to be evicted from the hotel. Then miraculously, the wire transfer arrives. $30,000 from Anna for her unpaid expenses. Wow. However, while on holiday, the hotel realizes despite her bill having been paid, she still refuses to supply a credit card and another large account is starting to stack up. The hotel changes the code on her door and stores her things. Anna eventually returns from her holiday where there had been another incident with a credit card not going through, which after uh, threats from the hotel that they were going to call the police, she phones multiple other friends who also aren't able to put their credit card through, probably because the amount was too big. The hotel goes, oh, weird, it must be our system. Don't worry about it. Fix us up later. Anna leaves the hotel, but she still has these unpaid bills from this second after she's done the 30K wire transfer. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but a designer in England who she'd contracted to do the branding for her club that never eventuated had an invoice for $16,500 yet to be paid. People begin to notice any attempt to contact Anna's financial advisor, Peter W. Hennick, would bounce back, and Anna told people that he'd passed away and to please not bring him up or mention his name. (laughs) (laughs) After just 20 days at her new hotel, they realised they'd also never received a credit card on file and the promised wire transfer had never arrived. Anna is locked out of her room again and her belongings are confiscated. And this is where it all begins to unravel. Of course. The hotel she had defrauded formally pressed charges and headlines around New York City speak of a socialite shame for skipping out on her bills. Despite being confronted by friends, she claimed everything would be fixed once the lease on her club was signed. When she was shown hard evidence that another company had already taken the ownage of the building, she simply told them that was fake news. It's not, it's not true. It's fake news. Okay. So November 2016... Anna Delvey's story begins to unravel. So you know how I said that I was going to start in the middle? Yes. So we're going to go back to the beginning. Love it. Let's do it. Anna Sorokin was born 23rd of January 1991 in Moscow. She was born into a working class family in a small town called Dumodidovo. Her father was a truck driver and her mother was a housewife. Anna Sorokin was smart, described as an excellent student, and when her family moved to Germany when she was 16, she couldn't quite fit in as she struggled to learn German properly. After graduating, she attended Central St. Martin's in London, but quit before finally getting an internship at a French fashion magazine called Purple, which is where her life as Anna Delvey began. The outstanding hotel bill was just the beginning of the story. As part of the loan application for her club, Fortress Finance, one of the banks she'd approached, had requested Anna pay $100,000 as a sign of due diligence as well as kind of like a claim loan processing fee for a loan of that size. Approaching another bank, City National, she managed to convince them to provide her with a line of credit of $100,000, which she then transferred to Fortress to prove her liquidity. However, when Fortress took the next step to prove her wealth and assets as part of this enormous loan process, they said they're going to be sending a representative to Switzerland to check her assets in person. She, of course, spooks, cancels the loan process, and is refunded $55,000 of the original loan fee all of which is transferred into a Citibank account and she goes on an enormous shopping spree and spends all of it. She deposited around $160,000 worth of bad checks, $70,000 of which is withdrawn before they all bounce, and this is what she uses to pay off her bill at 11 Howard 
and go on another shopping spree. She manages to convince private jet companies to charter her planes on the promise of wire transfers that never never come thanks to forged confirmation emails. She did this for expensive hotels throughout the city for times when she was only going to be planning on staying one or two nights. After finally withdrawing $8,200 again from bad checks and going for a holiday, Anna Sorokin is arrested in Malibu for grand larceny and attempted grand larceny. On April 25th, 2019, so recently, after deliberating for two days, a jury finds Anna guilty of eight charges, including grand larceny in the second degree, attempted grand larceny, and theft of services. Anna is found not guilty of two other charges, one of attempted grand larceny in the first degree relating to her original loan application with um, one of the banks and another one of larceny in the second degree when she had gone on a holiday and her credit card had something had gone amiss and one of her friends had paid for a $16,000 holiday that she never paid her back for. She was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison. However, as of February 2021, Anna was released from prison but is currently being held awaiting deportation to Germany. Hmm. When asked about her life in prison, Anna was quoted as saying she enjoyed it. In particular, she liked to talk to the other women who'd been arrested for committing financial fraud, stating that of identity theft, she'd never realized it was so easy. Of identity theft? Mm. Yeah, she really missed out on that one, didn't she? Well, maybe she can come back in a couple of years and try her luck again. So she literally got by for years just on the fact that she would she basically had a pyramid scheme like she'd yeah. take out a loan she couldn't afford to pay back and then take out another loan to pay back that loan keep cashing bad checks but make sure that she had all the appearances of a rich white heiress yeah. so no one would really question, question it, yeah anything she said she's like the catch me if i if you can pretty go. much yeah like so this article written um it's written by Jessica Pressler, uh, obviously in conjunction with Neff, who worked yep. at Eleven Howard. It's so fascinating. It goes into a lot more detail than what I went into. And it's just wild hearing it from the perspective of someone that knew Intimate, her. Yeah. Yeah. So the quote I loved was, she could be oddly ill-mannered for a rich person. Please and thank you were not in her vocabulary and she would sometimes say things that were not racist, Neff said, but classist. But to Neff, it didn't come across as mean-spirited, more like she was some kind of old-fashioned princess who'd been plucked from an ancient European castle and deposited in the modern world. Although, according to Anna, she came from a modern-day Germany and her father ran a business producing solar panels. Right, interesting. And so this whole just, time she was Russian. Russian and had no money whatsoever. Amazing. And her parents, when this all unraveled, her parents were like, we loved her, we would have given her anything within our means had she asked. Man, that's sad. Mm. But it is kind of, it's really wild to think had she been able to get the loan for her club 
and got the club off the ground and been able to actually pay that loan Just back, that, yeah. would she have become legitimized? I love this quote that sums up this article. It says, maybe it could have happened in this city where enormous amounts of invisible money trade hands every day, where glass towers are built on paperwork promises. Why not? If Abby Rosen, the son of Holocaust survivors, could come to New York and fill skyscrapers full of art, if the Kardashians could build a billion-dollar empire out of literally nothing, if a movie star like Dakota Johnson could sculpt her ass so that it becomes the anchor of an entire major franchise, why couldn't Anna Delvey? Legit. Like... If she could legitimize the club, she would have paid the loan off mm-hmm. with legit money. Yep. That she legitimately also got through a loan. Like it's, it Talk is a whole lot of gray area there. Fake it till you make it. But like she could have, like the legality of her owning the club is, is like pretty solid. That's crazy. I know, right? Imagine if it did get off. What's more wild is if she got the loan and got the club, it's so likely that no one would have ever found any of this out because it would have legitimized all the wealth that she had always said she had. Yeah, yeah. No one, like, no one would be like, like people would be hitting her up and be like, hey, you have a $12,000 debt. Cool, here you go. Yeah. Be like, it's, okay, isn't done. It, yeah, it's wild. Fuck me. I also love this other quote. Anna looked at the soul of New York and recognized that if you distract people with shiny objects with large wads of cash with the, I don't know how to pronounce that word, oh, with the indicator of wealth, if you show them money, they will be virtually unable to see anything else. And the Uh, thing was, it was so easy. it, It really fucking was. She had like hundreds of people fooled. And, you know, she's not by any standards an unattractive woman, but she's also not a supermodel. She's just a very average-looking person. I want to know Macaulay Culkin's thoughts on this. Mm. Because, And I want to know the people who were directly, like the celebrities that were influenced by this. Isn't it wild? Situations. Crazy. What's crazy is that I haven't heard of it. Yeah, I do believe they are making a Netflix series nice. about her, Great. which I cannot wait for because I just yeah. think it sounds like the plot of a Netflix series. It, does. it doesn't sound real. It does. Like everything was fine until it wasn't. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It was, um, it's wild. And yeah, that's the story of Anna, Anna Delphi. Well, there you go, guys. That is, that's the end of the main show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our cases. They were pretty, pretty, very substantial cases. I must say, too, that I am enjoying these stories where it's more so like unraveling a mystery or here's the yeah. story of this one thing. Well, I think people hear true crime and always assume that it's about like murder. murder. Yeah. But, I mean, true crime is just crime that's... True. Yeah. <laughs> like so, real life instances of things happening. So I think maybe we will both make a bit more of a concerted effort. Like, yeah, yeah. Because I, I find stories like that just as fascinating as the Ed Kempers. Yeah. Um, well, so guys, this is the end of the main show. We are now moving on to the show after the show. If you don't like where host fluff on for a bit and just talk about general thoughts, then... We you will see you guys. Won't like the next part. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week for our next case. 
otherwise, welcome all you lovely people who enjoy listening to us talk about literally anything and everything, sometimes not even relevant to the show. Welcome to the ASMR. No, we're not doing that no? yet. Okay. No, not yet. I love good we'll, ASMR. We'll leave, gonna, we'll leave that until the end of the show. I'm going to lean back in my chair, get um, comfy. Yeah, I, I ha- am interested in following more cases that are more so about that mystery, mystery mm. sort of. <laughs> mysterious. I try to say mysterious and mystery <laughs> at the same time. That like mystery whole yeah, no, I know thing to it. I um, I got to say, I'm really enjoying that. That re- that really like sort of did something for me. You know, we 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 cover a lot of like murders and sort of just sad cases, and I think. There's no real, like, sad ending to that or really anything that really directly... No, I feel like in that case it was really just a a bunch of genuinely wealthy people getting yeah. ripped off by someone pretending to be wealthy. Yeah, which is hilarious. I do think one of the people who I hope was given restitution, uh, she had, like, a life coach trainer who was the they went on a holiday together and she was the one who ended up having to pay like $62,000 on a credit card. Oh shit. Um and she was just like a normal person who thought she was getting a sweet holiday. Yeah. Bought for I her by this woman, so Don't think you, she would see any money back from that. I hope that she got some sort of restitution out of Anna's who knows. sentence. Yeah. Very uh, interesting case. I, I can't wait for the Netflix series to come out for that. Yeah, I think it would be really good. Yeah, um, yeah it's just very cool. I'm going to see if any there's a release date. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So it's called Inventing Anna, and it should be released on Netflix January 1st, 2022. Good title. I like that. I appreciate that title. Although it looks like it's, oh, okay, that's lame. What? It's like a real journalistic thing. Yeah. I wanted like some. I wanted like an actress playing no, Anna no, Delvey want, swanning around fucking, New York City. I want Tiger King two bro. Let's fucking do yeah, it. that's true. You know, we're look, we're we're in quarantine again. We need our next big Tiger King. Next game. Tiger King. Well, if I'm still in lockdown in January next year. We're fucking out of here. I mean, We're out of here. Yeah. It, it's probably possibly looking like that. I'm moving to the country. I'm going to yeah. eat a lot of peaches. Although, it, like, so in Australia, we've reached over the threshold of 50% of Australians being, having the first vaccination. Um, and it's like around the 20% of Australians have the second Yeah, dose. although it's going up really quick. So yeah. that could be dramatically changed just in like three days since I told you that. Yeah, like all you lovely people in America and other such other countries who have had a vaccine rollout, it's like you, you see cases sort of rising everywhere and some states and areas are going into sort of partial lockdowns. Um. But with the increasing vaccine numbers, it's you're seeing a lot of restrictions ease up and um, just there's less chance of people spreading it now with the vaccine mm. rolling in, which is fantastic to see. Um, and we hope that Australia will sort of get into that space as well. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about something. I feel like we talk about 
COVID all day, every day. I'm over it. Let's talk about jelly. Jelly. I yeah. love jelly so much. We, we've sort of been on a, a, like a calorie sort of counting thing. Um, we, we kind of just decided like, look, let's start, start just like looking after ourselves and looking at how much we sort of eat and trying to keep a consistent, you know, level. Um, cause we want to lose a bit of weight, stay healthy, all that kind of fun stuff. We have found so many snacks that are like under a hundred calories each. Mm, and they're and so good. There's a fucking jelly, which has like. Two, two, four servings in it with like four calories per serving, like jelly. Mm. It's crazy that you can just, you can just destroy this whole bowl of jelly and have like maybe upwards of eight calories. No, I want jelly. We have jelly. It'll have to set. Though. Yeah. I can't yeah. have it <laughs> yeah. now though. I could have hot liquid. Soupy jelly. Soup. Yeah. Yeah. Yuck. Okay. Yeah. Not um, We do have. Also, slow-release casein, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, that weird pudding stuff. Yeah, custard stuff. Was that good? It's not bad. Okay, it's pretty good. It looked disgusting. I would recommend putting it on something. Okay. Like maybe making some pa- pancakes and putting it on something. Oh, you don't say the P word. The P word. I've been wanting pancakes. <laughs> By the way, bad fiancé because you've yet to make them for me. I've been wanting pa- pancakes for about two weeks now. No one has made me fucking pancakes. Make your own fucking pancakes. I don't want to make my own pancakes. I want pancakes to be brought to me in bed. If you don't do that on Saturday, I'm not marrying you. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's see that happen after all the deposits we've put down. Not that much. All right. Fair enough. It's much less than what the actual wedding will cost. So we'd still be saving money. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's kind of crazy how... You can you you find all these different recipes and these different foods that you can stay well underneath your in your in your deficit, but still be eating chocolate cake. Yeah, like there's these chocolate actually, bars, and they're like eighty calories, and they're so good. Yeah, they're fucking, and they just taste like fudge bars. It's it's insane. Mm. Like, and Audi has this sort of cheaper knockoff of Halo Top, which tastes, in my opinion. Much better than Halo Top. So we've just been like eating cake and ice cream and jelly, but it's fucked up and like losing weight. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's great. Yeah, I'm very excited for this show to come out tomorrow. Yep, I'm very nervous. Mm-hmm. It's always nerve wracking launching something, but I'm very excited for it to be out in the world. Yes, because I feel like when you have something that you're still kind of pondering. It's like not quite real. Like you yeah. can you you can convince yourself that it's going to be this huge, massive global success. But like once you actually release it, you well, have once you to make your first few steps. It's like it's real, and then you just continue walking from there. Yeah. Well, is, yeah, that's the plan. Well, that's the idea. Is like once you have literally put something else out, the rest is just adding on to that. You're yeah. just adding content onto what you've already established but the it's the the hardest thing is establishing it because you want it to be like have the best potential from the get-go mm. but yeah we're, it's very exciting isn't it yeah i'm excited yeah i like doing new projects 
I just need to make sure that I don't load my plate up with too many things that when we leave lockdown. Yeah, this is going to be like, <laughs> this is going to be, this is going to be exactly how it was the first lockdown with this podcast where like we went back to real life and it was like, and we're like, haha, it's actually really shit. difficult. <laughs> Although to be, to be fair, at least this time, I'll be going back to a job that actually lets me work from home. Yes. This time last year, I was working for a company that just didn't allow work from home. So as soon as lockdown was lifted, they were like, right, yeah, back in you go. And I was like, well, this sucks. Yeah. Which is why I quit. Yeah. And now you get to work from home most of the most days. It's great. I love it. Yeah. I love working from home. I will say the combination of working from home plus also not being able to like go anywhere, I, I am going a little crazy. Yeah. It's a bit it's a bit much, but which is why we took a week off last week. So thanks yeah, I, 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 for I've, appreciating not appreciating, understanding understanding that see, I I've seen like a lot of people talking about um specifically people from outside of Australia sort of confused about the situation in Australia. Uh like about how there's the army is keeping people inside. Yeah, apparently Joe Rogan was like going off in his podcast well, he was or like something. oh it's like it's like fucking martial law like it, yeah because so, no one will do what the fuck well, they're no, supposed no, but, to but do it, it's not the idea isn't that we're all being forced inside and we can't leave to never see the sunlight like we're allowed to leave the house you just can't like you just gotta go go it's out gonna and be a essential. Picnic, you have like, to be going out of your house to get groceries to exercise to get sun like it's like really not that it, difficult it's, yeah it's really simple stuff people want to act like it's rocket science but it's the same with anywhere else with any of their lockdown restrictions it's the same thing it's just that people aren't doing it and they don't have enough people to enforce yeah fines for people who are breaking the law uh and refusing to adhere to the 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 rules of lockdown that they also have brought in the army to help bring those people back home away from family gatherings or parties yeah just fucking stay inside so we can all i'm over it yeah it's not nearly as bad as what has been made out yeah i I saw that joe rogan thing and i was like this is nowhere near this is nowhere at all what is fucking happening in australia yeah, all they were doing, I think they were like flying over the the beaches where people are not supposed to yeah. be like sunbaking in large groups. Well, because people are going to the fucking beaches yeah. for and some just, reason. And just being like, go home through yeah. a megaphone. It's not like they were like tasering them from the helicopter. Yeah. Another, and he brought up the gun control thing oh, as well, fucking... which is weird. Like, he's like, this country who had their guns taken away from them uh, 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 and now that like there's like... It was some point about like how guns need to be used to raise up against the governments or something. some offhand comment. It's like first of all, our guns weren't taken away from us; they were willfully given away. And people got paid for them because well, not all willfully, but for the most part. for the most part, willfully. Those who wanted to keep their guns could do so if they passed the tests yeah. and legal obligations to do so. You can own guns in Australia so long as you pass tests. And mental health checks. Also, I just think the, I it makes me laugh every time I hear the argument of people being like, "We need guns so we can rise up against the government." I'm like, buddy, yeah, the government has shit they're experimenting with that we will never know about until it's too late. Your handgun won't do shit. Yeah, like 
I'm sorry, but if the government decides they want to do something like look, the army the- and the specifically the police in America, because the, a little known fact about Australia, the police in Australia for the most part aren't I don't think the they're... healthiest people in the no, world. No, I don't think they carry... Do they carry guns? Yeah, yeah, they do. But they're not like... You don't always look at police officers in Australia and go, you guys are so fit. Yeah, like, like, riot, like riot police in America in Fucking photos terrifying. look absolutely Holy terrifying. Shit. Like, Whereas like in Australia, like general police officers in Australia... Like, you could get pulled look over. like Police Chief Wiggum. Yeah, you could get pulled <laughs> over by, like, the oldest dude you ever met in your fucking life. Uh, it, it's, I've, I've seen police running after shoplifters who, let's just say, are not in running condition. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a joke. But, like, in America, like, there's no way in fucking hell that you, a group of, like, what? Like, let's say there's a martial law. 2,000 people who spend most of the time drinking beer, um, practicing guns in the backyard, aren't really that athletic. Yeah, going you're going to go up against the government with their tanks. Of fucking people who train nearly they their entire lives run in you martial over. arts, gun training. Uh, they are superbly yeah. fit. I've and always found that argument hilarious. Like, yeah, we need just, our guns. Like, no. Like, like they've just, figured you, out how to use sound. If you like guns, that's cool. Like, you like guns. You don't need them but you just like them it's like how i don't necessarily need a guitar i just like having guitars i like playing with them like if you like guns dope as long as you're not fucking severely mentally ill then cool have one but yeah people seem to forget that like governments have literally figured out how to use like sound waves to oh they've just recently developed a new technology to to remotely in like say they're in a street yeah to like to like to, use to, to sound tap, waves to like use sound to... waves reverberating off of walls to hear what's going on inside a house oh no i was gonna say they've um f- i'm pretty sure they've worked out how to use sound waves as a weapon to like debilitate people like make right. them start throwing up and like shitting themselves yeah that's like how dope. is your little handgun yeah. gonna stop how are you gonna do that when you when you curled over in agony because they're emitting invisible sound waves into the air like what you don't need a gun like you just don't let it go we haven't had guns for almost 30 years we're fine for the most part yeah and and like i said people people do have guns in australia it's just they legally acquired them through several hurdles just to stop people from who shouldn't have guns edward scissorhands what a great movie that was was it I loved Edward Scissorhands. Okay. I still do. I'm just forever haunted by the image of a porn parody they made of it called Edward Penis Hands. And it's eerily similar looking to what the movie was as well. I'm really learning something about you now. Shocking. It it just it ruined me. I saw an, okay. I saw like a gif of the hands and it was just like, you yeah, know, Do I, I need to google this? Is this something that I should be Googling? Do it, yeah, sure. Okay. It'll ruin the movie for you, but... I don't think that's possible. Okay. But it, it did for me. Uh, do me a favor, you guys listening at home, do not type this in if you want a movie ruined for you, but it has done exactly that for me. It was uh, exactly how it says, Edward, scissor hands, but instead of blades for fingers, <laughs> he has penises for fingers. It's not 
penises for fingers. So when you said that, that's what I was picturing. I was picturing individual little tiny penises no, as it's fingers. Like, yeah. It's two, two giant yeah. dicks. Yeah. Oh, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That's hilarious. There's a there's a picture of him. He's trying to eat spaghetti. Yeah, with penises. With and, penises. And he, yeah, it's just completely ruined my fucking perspective. Of oh, the movie. I'm so glad. Yeah. You told me about that. Oh dear. Yeah, it's it's that thing in the back of your head that goes. Remember that image of this guy, but with penises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if you like. The the internet has completely ruined me. I've seen too many images of like oh, you, people who've made Rule Thirty Four of cars. But you just laugh at things. Like sometimes you you'll oh, be I like love. crying yeah. tears of laughter, and you'll show me something, and I'll be like, "That's not remotely." Funny. My humor has been completely destroyed by TikTok. Just the internet. <clears throat> like you just laugh at loud noises now. Yeah, which is because it's funny. It's not though. It is. It's just subjective. Opinion about out humor. of context, random loud noises. That's just what tickles me. Every everyone finds different things funny. Okay, we'll have to agree because I don't find the things that you find funny particularly funny. Yeah, because you don't have a good sense of humor. But that's because you have a sense of humor that's different to mine. That's literally the subject of no, subject it's, subjectivity. It's because mine is superior. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that that has just ruined my that movie for me. I would never look at the movie the same way. Well, we'll have to watch it. I'm, Edward Scissorhands, not Edward Penis Hands. I feel like we have to watch Edward Penis Hands now. No, I want to watch Edward Scissorhands. What a spongecock square penis. No, I don't. I want to watch Edward Scissorhands. Okay. <clears throat> that can be the code word for this week, Edward Scissorhands. If you've come this far, <laughs> yeah. Edward Scissorhands. If you've come this far and you haven't shut the podcast off, we commemorate Congratulations, you, you with get this a code prize. word. Yeah. Um, I will wrap it up there, I think, because this is a very, a very lengthy podcast. We've gone through a lot of topics and we've had a lot of discussions. And I believe it is time to wrap it up. Fair enough. Where can you find us, Laura? You can find us on all good social media platforms at the BSC podcast. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's, that's the that's Check the out handle. Little Show of Horrors dropping tomorrow. Yeah, I'm very excited. Check out SOS, our new single we dropped with my band Juno. Both the links will be in the show notes. In if the you description. Want to check it out. In the description. <laughs> and uh, with that, we'll see you next we week. We bid you adieu until next week. Bye. Bye.